Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. Clear to Close. Clear to Close. I am your host, Alan Paris. Hey. Sorry for the slurs. It's a Friday. It's been a long week. What, are you drinking already? No, I'm not drinking. I'm just drinking. Slurs. You are in the mortgage business. Yeah. <laughs> I am joined by my co-hosts. Let's go. This is going to be really random. <laughs> Little Bear, Middle Bear of my big bear of the three bears. Right. Wow. I wanted, I was hoping that I could be the cucumber bear, my favorite vegetable. <laughs> well, the reality is, is I know who he's referring to when he says little bear. We're not, the, on, three lar- the door. We're, we're not the three largest guys. I don't know which <laughs> one he's talking about. Yeah, which one are you talking about? None of us are blessed with superior height. No, we are all, uh, so who you I, mean, I, just, I just chose, I just went randomly. Like I am the least big bear of, of anybody. I was a little disappointed, though, as I was trying to find the, you know, as I was looking for important trios. I got excited when I saw the three, the three bears. No exciting names. They're literally just categorized as the little, mid and big. So you got to think wider in your in your bear research. You know, Yogi Bear, the Cucumber Bear. No, no, we're talking. We're talking specifically porridge eating bears. I loved Yogi Bear when I was a kid. Me too. Oh, my God, that is so hilarious. All right, we got to get on track. No, um, let's talk about Yogi Bear. <laughs> Bell the mortgage business. <laughs> Brian Traeger, welcome back. The latest last month. How are things? Yeah, things are great. Things are great. I'm sorry to have missed it. I I listened to you guys, though, and there were a couple of moments where I, I laughed out loud. So <laughs> you guys both dissed me and gave me credit. So it was fun. Seems I was like a fine laugh the whole time. That's the thing. Why do you think I, I make the recording of all of these? Because I'm, I'm not going to give you guys the opportunity to diss me. I mean, I'm already in jail, according to our risk group. This is public. That's <laughs> uh, well, thank you for everyone who's joining you today. Uh, if you're new to Clear to Close, welcome. If you're a frequent listener of Clear to Close, hello again. And uh, as always, feel free to shoot us a review, let us know what you thought of the episode, and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about state of the economy, state of the mortgage industry, not necessarily rehashing what happened in 2023. I think we've gone through that conversation and exercise enough as it happened more live throughout the past year, but maybe a state of where we are today and the forward-looking 2024, where is it trending? And then what are maybe the outliers or elements that can put things a little more positively or could retract some of the, the gains that could be made over the next year? So. AI, why don't we kick it to you to start? I know the Fed, uh, you know, this is being recorded on 1215, Fed recent announcement. You want to cover that and what that kind of maybe points towards going into 2024, and then we'll go from there? We had one hell of a rally. I've been around for a long time. I don't think I've, matter of fact, I know that. I have never seen the current coupon mortgage that people kind of mark each day. It moved from six and a half to five and a half on Wednesday. I was texting with some buddies over that. And I'm like, have we ever seen that before? I'm like, cause I don't remember that. I mean, I've just never have seen, I don't think I've ever seen rates go down that low in one day. And then we had rally when we had a little bit of a rally yesterday too, which was good. So fixed rates, at least according to MBS live, there you go, Matt, you know, rates are averaging now 6.62, 6.63. That's just really good. I'm seeing chatter. People's pipelines are, you know, they're not overflowing. 
but they're starting to get some calls. And I think we, I think we've talked about this too on this podcast where, you know, eventually people are going to say, okay, I've had enough rates are probably not going to go back down to, you know, three and a half or 4%, but they're at a level right now where I can comfortably refinance or pull some cash out or maybe move and purchase. I mean, I'm one of those people, Janet and I have talked about, you know, when do we, when do we move? Like, and so what rate is a good rate for us to, to move at and kind of maybe downsize a little bit and get a smaller house and do that kind of stuff. And so, so I think, I think things are kind of trending positively, you know, maybe, maybe Powell got a little bit of ahead of himself during his press conference on Wednesday. They trotted Williams out this morning on CNBC and he kind of, we're down now about four or five ticks, but you know, he, they probably trotted him out just to kind of say, Hey, you know, we're not really talking about pausing in March. And I think they probably don't want the markets to kind of get ahead of themselves. But, and that's probably not a bad strategy, right? I think, Brian, you're, you're kind of shaking your head there. And it's a, I think you see that too, right? Things kind of feel pretty good here as we, as we head, into, head into the end of the year. So I, I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the Fed cannot have like drastic volatility. No, <laughs> it's not. That's terrible for the Fed. They're supposed to be a bit more sturdy so i i agree with you i think that they did put them out there for for a reason and i just wanted to take kind of a step back too and talk about inflation for just a little mm -hmm. bit because that's such a yeah. key driver in rates and inflation in the basic sense is a dollar is worth less than it was yesterday if you have inflation back in you know the earlier days of the Fed earlier relative to now, not like when it started, but like with Volcker and Greenspan, their target inflation rate was zero to 1%. Like that was their range, it kind of changed a little bit within there. That the result of the financial crisis, or like when it was happening, when it was first triggering, that's when the Fed changed their appetite or changed their target from that zero to one to 2%. 2%. And Bernanke did that in 2008. So right now, that target isn't going to change until what they say is earliest 2025, sometime in 2025. So the Fed is always going to be targeting this number. So an easy way to look at it is, are we at 2% or are we not? And the answer has been, no, we are not there. We are above it. So the Fed has to continue to speak the things that they're speaking, because if they don't, if they don't stay true to their goals and the words that they have, then it creates a really downward spiral in people's emotions and therefore what they will actually do in the market. So if you don't mm -hmm. believe the Fed, then they might buy or sell depending on where they are on the spectrum. And those buying and selling behaviors then influence others because these are institutions and these are, you know, eventually it gets to the mom and pop shops and to, you know, the regular people. So I just wanted people to realize, like, the Fed doesn't want high volatility. That's bad news because if there's high volatility in inflation, then they lose credibility. And when the Fed loses credibility, the system kind of breaks. Another thing to keep in mind is, like, one of the reasons why it went from 0 to 1% up to 2% and then has stayed there for, what, 15 years is because the Fed wants to have more optionality to fight against deflation because deflation although it's it sounds bad right it's just as bad if just not bad. worse yeah. in japan in the 90s but it can look good he's like oh my god my dollar is worth more but when the dollar is is doing that 
it has no incentive for anybody to spend or invest. And then that has a, you know, a reinforcing or spiral downward to more of a recession. And when you're not investing and spending in a recession, you just go deeper in recession. Mm -hmm. And so like they have to have that balance. So there is a probability that the target will change up from 2%, but that change range is not going to happen anytime soon. So we need to get comfortable with what the Fed has been doing and their sentiment to the market and what they're doing. That's why you're right, AI, because when you had that huge, it was a, a full point, oh my God. basis point <laughs> drop. That's insane. So then, yeah, yeah you got to curb that a little bit because volatility is scary for the Fed. That's my, is, that's my rant. And so, no, I think, I, think you're, I think you're right on. Inflationary expectations are good. You make a really good point, though, about people, right? Because rates tick down, your neighbor refinances. Now you're starting to think about it, right? And mm -hmm. then they refinance. And now their neighbor or they're, you know, they're at a cocktail party or a New Year's Eve party or whatever. And they're like, hey, I'm refining and I'm going to ABC lender and I got such and such a rate. And people are going, huh, that's maybe not a bad idea, right? That's right. So, yeah. So, I mean, even I didn't read the whole report, so I apologize. But like even like there was some recent data from Redfin, right? New listings, pending home sales have risen to their highest in a year. So maybe I think I posted this out on one of our Slack channels. Maybe, just maybe the worst behind us. Maybe. So Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the general consensus across a few, you know, like Goldman Sachs report, JP mm -hmm. Morgan's report is, you know, it's we're kind of in this what they're predicting as this low, low point, kind of somewhat soft landing point. But reading the reports also is, I don't think there should be an expectation of significant improvement, especially for the next six to nine months. You know, they're, they're predicting that really the rate cuts, if they come from the Fed, are going to be the back half of 24. And so we'll talk about a few of the variables in the market, but do we get to kind of 6% or so rates kind of maybe consistently in the first half of the year? Yeah, but I don't think we should be expecting that kind of what's kind of put out there some of this special number that somewhat unfreezes the housing market of 5%, especially in the first half of, of 24. I think that's there's some elements that might drive that at some point, but it is kind of this, we're in this low landing point, but it's a lot is predicting a pretty tabletop right now until kind of the back half of 24 where maybe some things start to start to adjust. Well, it's yeah. interesting because you look at then those forecasts that you say of a potential first rate hike or sorry, cut in cut. Q4 of 2024 versus some of the MBA's projections lately or even anytime historically. So you see like the optimism in the mortgage industry of, oh my gosh, rates are going to be lower tomorrow and then, and then the next day. And then you have like bankers, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs saying, hold on, hold on. So it's like, do you just average the two? I know a lot of mortgage companies, they, in order to get their forecasts of originations, they take averages of different uh, forecasts for interest rates. So just take those two, whop them together and say, hey, instead of Q4 and instead of Q1, maybe it is that June June I mean, it's, it's probably not too dissimilar to how I how you have to digest the news of you <laughs> yeah. get, get the same story from two very different sources, and then you find the average of what probably real the real truth is. I mean, I think I could go on a little tangent of no, that's um, a really good point of, of MB of MBA's optimism. But I mean, you look at the track record of, and I'm not saying what what needed to be projected was not difficult to project, but especially the past two years of projections have been 
wildly optimistic. Um, I would say closer even, to ten years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just yeah, I'm just talking about this past <laughs> this past cycle, but is even in relatively short time periods. And so I think I think it's good to have optimism of some outcomes, but at some point when looking at the numbers of what reality has been, you have to start kind of adjusting and saying either the the consumer or digest the person digesting the information has to take their own averages or there need to be some adjustments on the MBA side of where things are going to actually land. But well, let me let me and you're right. So it should, you know, the folks that that did purchase when rates were close to 8%, they are definitely gone right now. I am going to look to refi because I need to lower my cost, right? Yeah. So if rates kind of stay where they're at right now and we head into this springtime rate cut scenario, what do you guys think that does for like the first time buyer? Because seriously, I mean, they have been totally priced out of this entire thing for a long time. What do you, what do you think? I think it's, I mean, my position is... uh... Yeah, the, right now the economics just don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Talk to a bunch lately and saying, "Hey, what do you think? Is the time right?" A big portion of that is the housing prices. It's not just the interest rates. So, of course, there's a lot of factors when you're making a decision to buy a house. And and when when you're in the folks that I'm talking with are in larger MSA areas. So let's just say Denver, since that's where our HQ is, right? In Denver, if you can. The, the amount of money it costs to buy that first home, people are looking on Zillow and stuff and they don't see anything attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, oh gosh, this is kind of a, this is not the neighborhood or this is not, you know, the interior that I want. And like, nope, not in it. I'm not playing this game. I'm going to continue to rent from my apartment that is way nicer than that house for same square footage, has amenities, and I'm saving like 400 bucks a month. So it's just the economics don't work for the mortgage and for what they can actually buy. Now, the other side of that is you got to get in. And everyone knows we are all in this industry. is like when, when you get in, you typically stay in and you build wealth. And you build generational wealth through that way. So at some point, you got to rip the Band-Aid off and make some decisions on, hey, do I really need to match my living style of this amazing apartment downtown with a pool fitness center all up to date or do i kind of take a step back and get buy a fixer up or just to get into the market and build some equity yeah i think even in that scenario i I think the math still doesn't make sense like look i think there's a lot of commentary out there of the generation of first-time home buyers have way too high of expectations they want to have the perfect location perfect house as their starter home and look could there be a portion of the population that fit in that category? Absolutely. But that being the excuse of why first-time home buyers aren't getting into the housing market because they expect too much is to me complete BS. Like you look at what very standard, decent homes, like you're not actually moving to a dangerous neighborhood. You're not moving somewhere that is an hour plus away from where you need to work. Those kind of elements, you take those out there is not enough, the, 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 the price of housing right now in the majority of MSAs, along with the combination of interest rates, is prohibitive financially for even smart, fiscally-minded people to make a financial, to get a, their first home. Um, mm-hmm. And so is there a population, yes, that are expecting too much? Of course. But that is not what is freezing the housing market right now. And I think until you see a correction of home prices, which is, has its own issues from an inventory perspective or 
those rates get to the 5% range, I think that's when the math starts to unlock the current inventory as well as the new home buyer demand um, or maybe reigniting a demand because the math makes sense that can then propel real changes in the volume we're seeing. That's the hardest part to figure yeah. out is if rates do decrease and unlock the supply, are home prices going to stay flat? Yeah. Or are they going to increase and further this craziness? So that's the math can easily get washed out in that scenario where home prices actually rise. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. The other macro combination of where we are that presents interesting opportunity is, you know, housing has many times pulled us, almost always pulled us out of recessionary periods. Mm -hmm. um, if we are on this kind of bubble, not a real recession, but is like just slow GDP growth or slow, like very average kind of plateaued environment, you kind of get the the worst worlds combined where mm -hmm. you don't see a correction of home prices because unemployment hasn't dropped and there hasn't been some macro elements that have trickled through. And so you're in this like, the environment isn't bad enough to drop rates heavily, but it's also not good enough to propel growth and, and abundance to afford what is the current world. Um, and I think that's the part of looking to 2024 is it might just feel kind of blah, like, like it's not going to be awful, but it's also going to be not that exciting uh, of some upside. So in that, I, in that yeah. case with like recessions, you know, a lot of times it takes a triggering event to get in there. And, you know, the 2008 financial crisis, the triggering event was, was mortgages, right? And CDOs and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> that that started this thing that ripped under and to get us into recession and and then all of the financial institutions that were impacted then then just created this downward ripple effect. That's what recessions really kind of do. Yeah. So you're right, where we're kind of floating on top, but we're waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And the thing I believe is is you get smarter and smarter, the economy looks out for things, you learn a lot from the previous mistakes, et cetera. Nothing's quite doing that. And we're, the economy has been ripped. The world economy has been ripped of uncertainty with wars, oil, all of so many things. Nothing has taken it down. So I think when you don't have those things that would cause a recession, like we, this economy would go into recession if something yeah. bad happened that we don't see happening. But because we're not seeing that, it should stay like this for longer. Is, I is, agree. Is how they would stay it. So, and then you couple that with what we talked about earlier with inflation and the way the Fed's acting. I think you, the expectation is that it is going to be flatter for longer rather than a bunch of swings. Yeah, it's, which I think it's almost is the worst, the worst case scenario for the, I'm not worst case scenario, but is a challenging scenario for the mortgage industry um, specifically. Like that flat period is, in my opinion, hard to, hard to, so hard to I, find. I yeah. I have a theory in AI. Sorry, I think I'm- No, 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 you're good. Go for it. So I've got a hot take then for a prediction for 2024. Mm -hmm. When you're in an environment like that, that's floating, waiting for something. And it's exactly what you just said, Alan. It's like, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's pulling from both sides. I think that there's so much like pent up demand and everything, like the mortgage industry specifically, like we really want rates to decrease. We really want X, Y, Z. So I think that 2024 will actually be highly volatile and that's with the economy. Mm -hmm. And so I think the economy is going to absolutely whipsaw. The amount of things that we have knowingly outstanding 
it's, it's pretty crazy with world affairs. There's a U.S. election coming up, interest rates. We don't really know. And then there's all the things that we don't know about that are going to happen as well. And so I think there's just like so many variables that if any of them fall, things can wildly happen. So I th that's why I believe that it's going to be super volatile because the market will react strongly in certain yeah. indicators. And for U.S., I think that it's something's going to happen or nothing happens. And the U.S. is going to make a huge economic run starting in Q2. It's not going to be necessarily like the spring home buying season like we all want because that really is triggered in January and February with applications starting. And the spring is usually the closings. So I'm saying like April is going to be a pretty big month and, and then yeah. move on from there. And then the summertime, I have a feeling is that, that, that Q2 is going to be booming into Q3. I mean, are you, are you saying, are you speaking just broadly about the U.S. macro and, and markets or are you saying specifically to the housing industry? Both. So I think the U.S. economy is going to boom as a result of interest rates going down. I think we will have rates going down in Q2. Rather than JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs' forecast for Q4, although it might, it, they might, the mortgage rates might go down as a result of other factors. That's not just the Fed, you know, yeah, yeah. decreasing. Like we know that that's not exactly correlated. I would agree. I I think I don't know how they did it, but it seems like it seems like they have somehow full blown recession. Everybody was kind of thinking that somehow they've steered us away from that. Yeah. I mean, look at retail sales yesterday, right? I was very surprised at that number. And unemployment is still fairly resilient. What is, what's the headline rate? 3.7, 3.6, something like that. I mean, manufacturing is kind of in the dump, in the dumps a little bit, but the service part, like some of the ISMs, especially the service piece, those things are still pretty strong. So we may, to your point, they may cut rates. We've avoided a recession or at least slow down GDP, you know, Overall GDP for 23 is going to be stronger probably than they anticipated. Yep. Somehow they pulled that off. And if you look at, look at all the builder stocks too, right? Builder stocks right now are up and granted, you know, rates have yeah. rallied. So that's going to cause them to, to be up, but, but Lennar, Pulte, all these, all these really good builders out there. I'm going to pull a count on this where we're still not, I mean, the, the November inflationary rate was 3.1%. I, I think it's hard to predict rates dropping until that gets two to 2.5 or something like near within the range. I don't know. I feel like what the market has reacted to so far is progress and improvement, but is not, I, I think it's hard to, to, but remember, to it's a significant change in, in, in the first half. A positive inflation, like it's, a, it's a trend line. So you can decrease inflate, you can decrease rates and still have inflation, right? Like, so with the trend line allows you to test it more so that the rates decrease and inflation could still also decrease. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's what's going to happen. And I think a big driver of that is Biden running on and the Democratic Party, if it's not him, are going to run on the economy for the re-election. And, you know, we're hitting close to all-time highs again, aren't we? And in, in, uh, uh, Dallas, and Dallas surpassed 37,000. So yeah, it, boom. So they're like, that's a huge, huge badge to wear going into a huge election. And so I think Biden will do everything he can to influence a positive economy going into the election. Now, then, of course, the Fed can do 
other things. But I, I just think that there's going to be so much. And then the reactions are going to be over the top heavy that there will be a window in that middle of Q2, middle of Q3 window. I think it's just going to go big gangbusters. Now, then you have the election happening, and I think it's going to whipsaw in the other direction. I'd say that part of the hot take is I think it's going to be very volatile. So you're going to have this high of high, and then I'm just going to say, oh, shit, everybody overreacted to all of these things. We have to correct, and it's going to come down. And this, this I, I kind of fear a Q4 this time next year of what the heck is going to happen. Mm. That's, my, that's my prediction. Got to be ready, though, either way, right? Gotta, they're both going to happen. You got to be ready. Gotta, for both. Yeah, yeah, you got to be ready. So you've got you have to start thinking. You have to start thinking. How am I going to grab some additional share? And so you know, what does that mean? Does that mean adding new investors? Does that mean, hey, I've been lazy. I haven't done anything with my tech stack. I hate that term, but it's true, right? So there are things that you have to you have to think about, right? How are you going to grab share if that happens? Because because if you're right there, Brian, right? And so maybe there's a window of three months or four months that could make or break you. And so yeah. so I think maybe what I'm hearing also too is I'm hearing that optimistic tone, but I'm also hearing you need to be ready. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's, you know, to one of the things we want to do at the end of this is some kind of lender takeaways and not just be blabbing, uh, blabbing mouths. And I think that's probably one of the biggest ones is, you know, a is, lot, that, likely, is that a shot right there? I thought it was. I kind of took it that way. Yeah, they, there's only one. There, yeah, there's a handful of blabbing mouths on here. I won't say if anyone's uh, included or not included in that. <laughs> uh, but there's definitely at least one in this group. But I, I think, you know, that that's one of the takeaways in my eyes is a likely a lot of hard decisions have been made to correctly staff and manage their business to what it, to what it is today with the potential future of, I think, to Brian's projection kind of some growth periods and some non-growth periods, some high volume, some low volume, potentially in the first half of the year, what's your game plan and how are you prepared to capitalize in both of those environments when they come and relatively quickly too? Like, do you want to say, do you want to keep the same game plan that you've had in past growth periods or are some of your learnings that you've had going to be different um, for this one? So I think, I think that's one of the big takeaways is when the volume's there, how are you going to quickly adjust and how are you going to capitalize on it as much as possible, even though it's not a guarantee at any time when it's going to happen? And we learned that so many businesses, they, you know, hopefully build to scale over time. But what we learned was that nobody really forecasted how to reverse that scaling mm, when yeah. the market came back. So now everybody's preparing for another scale up. But what they also need to prepare for is a back down. Quickly scale down, yeah. Yeah, so like that's another variable that I think a lot of people aren't considering, where if you were to project up and down in short order, how do you do that? And that can go all the way down to a loan officer and saying, yeah. all right, for if I really think in, there's going to be a three-month, four-month window where I'm going to be going nuts, how do I get that work done? Well, for, how do I get the leads coming in? How do I get the work done? And how can I convince my manager, my manager's manager to give me help, whether technologically or an LOA or something. You have to solve for that and then understand how you're going to unravel that if it comes back down. Yeah. That's, I, if, know, I'm business, yeah. if I'm a business, if I'm a business PL owner and like I'm planning for both of those things and I'm looking for reasons why to invest in those helping months of of growth. But I'm also going to be very particular in saying, how are we going to protect ourselves from sunk costs if it goes back down? 
Yeah. You got to think about creative compensation structures, incentive plans, what work you want done in-house, what work you want done out-house over a certain volume level, mm. um, where you want the focus of the team. Like there, there's, I, I think that's, that's somewhat of the exciting part in like, at least, at least in my, my view of business is like developing those plans and that flexibility in these moments, like this kind of holiday time, lower volume time is like when you can get those pencils sharp and develop plans and scenarios and new ways you're going to structure for those, those future elements, what contracts you have, how those can be variable based rather than fixed based. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you can start to get in place now to be prepared for the future. And when yeah, those I mean, loans come in, save, save that income loan yeah. officers, like Learn what you can from other industries. A lot of insurance companies with salespeople as commission, highly commissioned percentaged uh, income people, they get paid twice a year on their commissions every six months. Loan officers get paid every month. So they are built in savings mechanisms. You guys should do the same. Don't just think that it's going to be all gravy when it starts to come back. Be long-term thinking. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're looking, I mean, even on our side, right? We're looking at, we're working with our product and engineering guys to, to kind of look at different ways. I mean, they're already starting to work on it, right? How can we, how can we make the capital side of our business? How can we streamline the process for, for Maxwell Capital? Sorry, shameless plug, I'm going to say it. How can we make their life a little easier by downloading additional data and pulling additional data where maybe we can do more loans and get them out faster and cleaner and quicker? So our guys are doing that. And the interesting thing is, is, is they came... The product guys came to us and said, hey, we listen to you guys and we're thinking about this. What do you think about this? And so they're they're on top of it. I think you have to do the same thing. I think you have to think about those things and move forward. I think you guys make a good point. All right. So as we spend maybe the last five minutes or so, Brian, your view is we're going to probably maybe, and this is obviously not a projection, but a little bit of a seesaw environment going in with maybe some upside at some periods. I think, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, there are this kind, this kind of feeling of like this big moment happening, but a delay in it um, and not knowing what it's going to be. What do you see as potential things that that could be that big moment that has either maybe been festering or could show itself in 2024? Yeah. And I want to be clear, it was a prediction, but it was a hot take prediction. It was a hot take <laughs> prediction. Yeah. There's, a, right. difference. We'll get there's, some, a, there's a different hot take. <laughs> this is not, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's answer, not investing uh, or economic <laughs> advice. Right. I think um, people generally know that when they tune in. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> uh, but to you know, answer your question, I think uh, commercial real estate is a, a fascinating one that people yeah. have eyes on, that people feel every day because of the different changes in the working environment from COVID and working from home and hybrid and a lot of folks going back into the office and it's different now and Empty buildings, and that's one that is interesting to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I think that this one's super interesting. I think there are some shocking stats, and we'll try to post some in the show notes uh, that we can share around kind of key properties in San Francisco on what those are selling for uh, on the market, or at least getting mm -hmm. bids for. And basically, like you've got these examples of these pretty prime what were prime office locations going for basically the price of the land. And, and I think that that has a potential to trigger some, depending on how the banks are accounting for it, some big 
losses on what the real value of the assets and the debt and the the loans they have out there for in the commercial real estate space. Like we, I think there's 550 billion of maturing commercial real estate debt over the next year was the stat I saw. And how many of those are nowhere near the value of what the the debt is? And so that one to me feels very MSA dependent. And San Francisco is hit heavily by this. You know, I'm not speaking intelligently about this, but does Dallas-Fort Worth have the same issue? Probably mm. not. Um, so that one might be a little bit more geographically located, but it's such a big area that it's kind of hard not to see how the government doesn't step in if this does become a, a bit of a crisis, for better or for worse. No, I think you're right. I think they have to focus on it, right? I mean, we're just in downtown Denver, during my when I do work in the office a couple of days a week, there's a ton of empty office buildings. I mean, just across the hall from us at Maxwell HQ, that office has been empty and it's nice, has been empty since we moved in. We've been mm -hmm. there, what, two years? So, yep. yeah. And I think that, that there's also a, a common story of, oh, well, we can all turn these into housing. And I think I need to do a little more research on this, but- eh. I think it's not as easy to do that. Like some of these, some of these, some of these commercial buildings are not actually in the same structure zone, whatever, wired the same, plumb the same, whatever it is. When it, again, I'm saying yeah, yeah. what I've heard. There's like, yeah, yeah. yeah there's there's there massive convinced. changes. Like it's not just a flip of a switch, these become apartment buildings or condos. Um so it sounds good. It's a great, it's a great newspaper headline. And it's a great thing for you to, you know, if you're a politician to say it. Sorry, I'm just yeah. gonna say what well, it is, there's, right? It's a great thing to say it, you know, to make yourself look good, but I think it's I've seen, harder than making it. I've seen plenty of, uh, let's call them, very wealthy people on Twitter mm -hmm. that have posed a question to any followers like, hey, if you, can solve, if you can figure out a way to transition these buildings into housing, like, I'll give you $5 million right now if the model makes sense. And then that's just for them to have, and then they'll go and work on it. So, like, people are putting this out there of, this seems like an impossible task, but maybe it can be solved. So if, well, you, if, you, if you're really bored during the holiday breaks, <laughs> something to, to noodle about. That's funny. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I'm working. Market's open. We're taking locks. You have to. Yep. All right. On that note, let's wrap this one up. So big thanks to everyone who listened today. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, AI. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Getting, getting to discuss the economy with you. Uh, Thank you, Yogi Bear, for, for, for all hey, boo -boo. new listener, for all new listeners and those who haven't subscribed yet. Hit that subscribe button. Also, shoot us over a review. We strive for five star reviews. Let us know what you thought in the comments. Love to hear your feedback, future episode ideas, what you thought about this topic as well. So, until then, we got to thank our beloved sponsor and employer, Maxwell, for making all this possible. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. But as we wrap up the year, wish everyone happy holidays, safe new year, and we will see you in January of 2024. And by March of 2024, we'll figure out whether Brian's right or not. Can't wait. Can't. <laughs> Me neither. Until then, happy lending, everybody.